Hello, Miss Samantha. Well, hello. We have a pretty serious episode today that will not leave a whole lot of room for joking around. Yeah, no. So this no. is going to be a serious one this today. This is going to be serious. Very serious. I know you're not used to that from us. But. I know. <laughs> but every once in a while, it's okay. Every it's now and again. Right. Well, 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 you know, throw one out there every now and again. Right. So we're <laughs> going to jump right into this because we, um, we have... Uh, interview with someone today, which we is do. we do, which is really cool. So I am Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is the suspended sentence. So you may recall, and I'm assuming you do because it got lots and lots and lots of listens. Yeah. Um, a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, we covered um, Joseph Smedley, the case of Joseph Smedley. Yep. Um, college student, college sophomore who goes missing and is death is ruled as a suicide which if you listen to that case you probably are thinking exactly what we are right it is not a suicide not a suicide right um pretty pretty much immediately after that went out we have been messaging with his sister his sister vivian Vivian. um we've been chatting with her on facebook and ig and uh she was willing to speak with us so she said i have some more information and let's and wanted, do this yeah and wanted so, to talk so we so we are doing that <laughs> we're doing that we so got we, to talk to her but before we do that um tracy did a little bit more information got oh my gosh i can't speak today you're okay got a little bit more information about the uh college that joseph was attending right and i think that's important for us to get get all of the information before we go into that yeah I mean just to set a foundation and just to get clear in everybody's mind I mean I don't know how everybody else thinks but to me anyway like I need I need like a visual I need to understand like the entire dynamics of something yeah get the whole picture yeah in order to do that so so I have done over the last couple weeks which is why it's taken us so long to do this to do this interview watched tons of videos and done tons of research here and so the Indiana Indiana University is in Bloomington, okay? It is rated number 72 in the national universities. So it's pretty pretty good. I mean, not super great, but it's it's a good school. Right. It was founded in 1820. The underground, underground, See, oh, that too, <laughs> Freudian slip there. <laughs> the undergrad grad enrollment currently is like 35,000 students. The campus size is right under 2,000 acres. Okay. Okay, that's a huge campus. Yeah. That's, that's huge. The enrollment is like 50-50 to female versus male. Um, only 4% of their enrollment, though, is African-American. Oh. That's important. Yeah, race especially is, when it comes to this case. That's... Race is very, very difficult to talk about, especially being Caucasian. It's very, very difficult to talk about because everything that we say is going to be taken out of context in some way, I feel like. It's a very dangerous, slippery slope. Well, and not even just that. It's like, we don't understand. And we don't. And it's ignorant to and say that we do. it's ignorant to assume that we do without asking the questions. And Yeah. And, I mean? and even that is dangerous to say. I mean, it's, I mean, people are going to get either be on the offense or be on the defense when you talk about race. But that number is significant. And you're an idiot if you don't pay attention to that number. I agree. So in at IU, which is what it's called for short, Indiana University, 
There are 27 different sororities or fraternities there. Okay. Okay, which which there's about 6,700 students who make up these sororities and fraternities. Some are small, some are big. I mean, it doesn't, it just depends on, on what it is. The, the fraternity that Joseph was in was a Sigma Pi fraternity. And currently there's 116 people in that. Just on that campus. Just on that campus in that fraternity alone. Okay. The average GPA <laughs> is 3.2. So smart kids. <laughs> smart kids. Okay. But when I go to their fraternity, like their rules and their bylaws and, and what it takes to be like in their fraternity, there's their purpose, and this is on their website, their purpose, Sigma Pi Fraternity's Master of Ritual Programs exists to enlighten our brotherhood with a heightened understanding and appreciation for the secrets and mysteries to which every Sigma Pi holds sacred. What? Heightened understanding and appreciation for the secrets and the mysteries to which every Sigma Pi holds sacred. Okay. Sounds a little creepy. No, it sounds pretty cultish, really. Sounds a little, yeah. But, and I mean, I got, I, you know, I got access to, you know, what their rituals look like, what, you know, who can join what the rules are, the degree complete completion forms, their quest map, their delta trials, their traveler trials, like all of that, how long it takes to complete it. Like to go through the entire ritual process takes a year, give or take. So you're what, a pledge? Is that what it's called? Like a pledge yeah. before for a year before you're like an actual brother? Well, is that and, how that works? Yeah, and, and according to their website, I mean this is their words and their site defining their their fraternity, right? That I mean you gotta be booking it. You gotta be pretty dedicated to get through in a year. Yeah. So and you know, and there's fees to doing it also. But yeah. of course, right? But so it's not a good cult without fees. <laughs> fraternity. <laughs> potato potato. <laughs> but anyway, so we we are going to now go over to our phone call with Vivian so you guys can hear straight from from her. And straight from her. And you know, as podcasters, we hope that we do a good job and we give information accurately. And I love the fact that she is getting on here and talking to us, that we did a well enough job telling this story that she felt comfortable to speak to us absolutely because that's always our goal i mean we we've said this from the very beginning our goal is to tell everybody's story accurately as we can and if if we can't get it accurate we want you to reach out to us and talk to us we want to have these conversations because in the day of the internet you don't know you don't know and so we love chatting with with those that are close to these people. Absolutely. It's important. It's so it's important, important to hear the entire story. And that's what we always strive out for is the entire story. Absolutely. So, so here we go, guys. So here we go. Hello, this is Vivian. Hey, Vivian. It's Tracy and Samantha. Again, thank you for, for doing this conversation with us because it's, and this is not, an easy thing to talk about. And I can't imagine what this is like for you to like keep living and reliving without answers. So thank you for doing this and being so open about it. Yeah. Thank you guys for your interest in the case too. 
Yeah, and we, we think that's very, very important. And this is, I mean, like Tracy said, I can't imagine having to having to continue to have this conversation. So thank you again for talking to us. Yeah, anytime. We are going to kind of take, we've got some different things that we want to talk about because we, you know, we, we covered the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of just want to hear like from you, like who Joseph is um that's kind of we want to kind of start with that i think yeah yeah so um joseph was a just an amazing person um he has a heart of gold and he was just very like loving and sweet and he also was just like really really uh smart very intelligent we used to call him um you know just like little boy genius all the time and just he just constantly was learning new things and um, just, just, it's just so smart. Like I, I can't even explain it, but like I just remember one time we were um, on the beach and he was like second grade at the time, maybe first, and he took his glasses off and um, used the magnifier from the glasses to like burn a hole into a coconut. Oh my gosh. I'm like, and who thinks about that at that age? Like, it's just, he's just so smart. So, right. Um, he always, you know, did super well in school. He also loved the trombone. So he played a lot of um, music in high school with the band. He did a jazz band um, and concert band. And he um, wrestled. So he's a really big wrestler. Um, very good at um, doing that as well. And, uh, yeah, he's just, like, an extremely likable guy. I had a ton of friends. Um, it was over at least 500 people showed up to his um, memorial service. And just, like, hearing from so many people's people that he impacted while he was around, like, even just at the short time he was at IU, um, all the people that impact, were impacted by him. Um, so, I mean, he's just a great person very persistent, um, had a lot of goals. He, uh, was a biochem major, um, pre-pharmaceuticals. So he just really wanted to make a big difference in the world. I know, um, he was like researching a couple of different types of medications that he wanted to invent when he got, um, you know, out of college. I think he was like working on formulas and stuff like that. So he just, he really wanted to be successful, had a ton of drive, and uh, yeah, and then he joined the fraternity. Um, and I think that he thought that it was just going to be a good way to um, get more connections, especially with not having like our family in the picture. It was really just me and him. So he, um, you know, really reached out, uh, or he was really trying to find a way to belong somewhere. Um, and I know that that fraternity is well known for. Um, the intelligence of the people who were around. So I think uh, that was probably his main draw. I remember asking him too, like, why did you decide to join a fraternity? Because I just thought that it wasn't uh, something that he that he should do. I just not really a fan, and I think that you have to do a lot to even be accepted. Um, but you know, he just said, I, I think that this is going to be the best way for me to make the connections that I need to uh, in order to be successful. So yeah, I got it. 
Yeah, for sure. Was there a reason that he chose or that he wanted to go to IU? Was Is it, you know, because I mean, some people have family ties to a certain university or was there any particular reason or? I don't think so. I mean, so when his senior year, um, he actually was living with a different family. So I didn't see him as much. I didn't drive or anything like that. But we actually saw each other like at church because we would go to the same church. Um, and so that's kind of really the only time we would get to talk. So I don't really know what the drive was behind IU. I would assume it's just because it's close and it's where everybody ends up going mostly from high school. So he probably knew a lot of people going. I know um, the friend that he was living with went to IU too. So that could have had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not, I don't think that he really applied to many other places. And I think it just might've been because, um, you know, we just didn't have the support, but sure. I, um, yeah, I'm not really sure why he chose IU. Okay. I just, it, I was just wondering that. And then was he, did he join the fraternity like as a freshman or was that something that he did as a sophomore? It was his second semester freshman year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. So he pledged, um, second semester and then he was in the fraternity all summer. And then, um, that following semester in August, when um, he went missing, he was actually just had moved in with a couple of his fraternity brothers at an off-campus house that was near the um, fraternity house. Okay. And how, what's the age difference between between you and Joseph? They're like one and a half years apart. Okay. So very close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you had a close relationship with him, right? Yes. Yeah, it sounds like it. I love that. Everything that I read and when I was doing like researching this, I was like, I mean, the, I love the, the relationship. relationship. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it's super close. That's why it makes it so much harder. Like now that I have my own family that he's not you know, here to to be an uncle. And I just know he would have loved us. Like I have a two-year-old now. I know he would have loved her so much. Oh, yeah. So. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. So when... When he joined the fraternity, you said you were like, why are you doing that? Like, what was moving in with them and all of that? Like, you were, you guys were, like we said, very close. So, during the chain of events leading up to him disappearing, did you guys talk pretty regularly? I know you had co-signed on the that apartment for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, pretty much, like, um, he'd come home on holidays and spend, like, part-time with me and part-time with the family that he would with the Bachmans. Um, he spent time with the Bachmans a lot on holidays when he would come home, but we'd, he'd spend time at my house too. So we just like, um, we would kind of talk back and forth. He would ask to borrow money and, you know, send him stuff and I'd ask him and like, we just kind of like relied on each other for things like that. Um, if he needed, you know, me to pick him up from school, I would do that sometimes. Um, and then I actually ended up giving him a car. Um, so he had been on campus for a while too, um, but he, that he didn't end up getting like the oil changes and keeping up with it like he was supposed to. So it um, stopped working. But the time leading up to it, he'd actually asked me to uh, be a gear or sign a guarantor form for an apart or for a new house. And at the time, um, he had made it sound like it. Well, what he had told me was that um, I was going to be just I, it just showed that I was his guardian or something and you know I'm only a year and a half older than him so I'm still in college like I had no idea what I was signing um 
So he was just like, I need to, this that just states that you're my guardian um, in order to move into this place. So I did it. And then I got a phone call um, a few months in from his original apartment. And they were like, hey, um, we saw that you co-signed this apartment. And um, Joseph decided to move out and didn't find someone to replace him. So now you're responsible for the, like, the breaking the lease. Oh, um, no. So... Yeah, so I was like, it was just like a bombshell at the time because um, I was actually planning on looking into buying a house. It didn't actually happen, but uh, just we really want our credit to be in a good place to do that. And so I was like really on him about figuring out what needs to happen. So I immediately called him um, and he wasn't aware that that was an issue. And so I was like, well, you know, did you read the contract? And he said, not really. So I'm like, well, yeah, when you sign a lease, and you move out, like, you have to find someone to cover you or else that you're breaking the lease. So um, they, he basically said that he had, um, it was around, like, $600, I think, and he had some checks and stuff that he was getting from um, some of his summer jobs. He said he, like, was doing some painting for a company. He also worked for, like, a moving company, Guys and Dollies. Um, so he was doing a lot during the summer. He said he had a couple more checks to pick up. And that he was going to get it. Um, and the deadline was the that following Monday. So um, I pretty much just stayed on top of him every day just to make sure he was still on track. Because, like, if for some reason he didn't have the money, we would have had to find a different solution. Um, but it sounded like he was good for it. So um, I just kind of checked in daily. I'm like, you, know, you still picking up that check? And he was like, yeah, I got it. So then the day before, that Sunday night, um, the day before he was supposed to be dropping off the check, I uh, called him around like 7 or so at night and just, you know, checking in, making sure he's going to drop it off in the morning, 12 o'clock sharp, and he's like, yeah, I've got it. It's on my desk. I'm going to be there. I said, okay. Um, you know, I just made it made aware of how serious it was for me if that was to, like, you know, hit my credit and stuff like that. Um so he's like, I'm aware. And then he actually, um, at the time, said that he was studying. And so uh, the following day, I woke up and I, uh, sometime earlier in the morning, I, get, I see the text message from his phone. And it says, um, Viv, I'm sorry, uh, I am leaving the country. Please don't attempt to contact me. I'll contact you once I set, set up overseas. Um, and I just thought it was just a joke because I, you know, he's just kind of the, he has a really dry humor and for some reason I thought like, because he knew how important it was that he was just saying that so that I would freak out. Right. Just being a little, yeah. Being a little brother and messing with you. I'm an older sister, so I get that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I literally just like sent a text back. I was like, shut up, make sure you drop that check off. And then, so then like, yeah, like I, you know didn't think anything of it and then you know it basically got to around 12 o'clock and I hadn't heard from him and I'm like okay that's strange so I called the apartment and asked if he had dropped off the check and they said no they hadn't seen him and I'm like really and I just was like I was just really confused so I tried to call him a couple more times and it was going straight to voicemail and so I um ended up like reaching out to IEPD at the time, even though I was doing that, I still was thinking in my head, like, I'm going to embarrass him 
so bad by like calling and making it a bigger deal than it needs to be because I was I thought I was being more dramatic than anything because of the text message and I'm like I'm gonna take this seriously if you're not gonna answer my phone calls and you're not showing up to places and you think this is a joke and so I thought that you know the IEPD was gonna get 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 to his class and you know kind of embarrass him a little bit and you know we'd move on with our lives um, but they got to his class and he wasn't there and. You know, I'm like, okay, well, that's strange. Um, and then it occurred to me that I really didn't know anyone that Joseph was hanging out with um, by the time he was a sophomore because everyone that he was friends with in high school that um, in freshman and that he was like friends with freshman year as well, he like no one had really seen or heard from him in a long time. And so I had to start by like going on his um, Instagram and seeing who the last person was that he was, like, tagged. Like, I didn't know who the, the guys that he moved in with. Like, I had no clue. And that was just really weird because we were so close. So um, it was just strange, like, that he had completely kind of cut himself off from all of his other high school friends, and he was only involved with the guys in a fraternity. And I had no idea who was closest to him at the time. Um, so I just started reaching out to different people. And then... Um, and IEPD at first had said that they found him in jail. And so I thought that that was weird, too, because it's just not him. Um, and so we went back and forth for a little while, and it turned out that they had the name wrong when they called the, initially looking for Joseph Smedley. I guess they thought he said Jonathan Smedley. And so then there was, like, a Jonathan Smedley there at the time. And um, oh, weird. ended up. Yeah, it's super weird, especially because, like, the last name is not that common. Yeah. Um, so, so can we just let – just so that I totally understand, because I I need everything to make perfect sense in my head. Yeah. IUPD is Indiana University Police Department. It's not – it's it's okay. just the – it's just – okay. And yeah. so – now I did a ton of research on this. And so I know that they are actually contracted with each other or that they work very, very, they have a very, very tight relationship, those two different police forces. But do you know, does IUPD have the same jurisdictional? No. And do they have the same, you know, are they sworn in officers just like the PD or is it, are or they like a security? Or is it, yeah, like security? It's, so they are police officers, and their jurisdiction is only going to be on the IUC campus. So that's the thing kind of messed or changed because, like, Joseph was found in Griffey Lake, which is technically not owned by IU, even though that campus is all over that lake. Like, they have IU signs. Like, it's they have research centers and facilities, like, around it. Like, they're... They're heavily involved with I, with Griffey Lake, but because it's on Monroe County's property and not IU's, then Bloomington Police Department basically stepped in from the moment that his body was found and took over. Okay, so is that has that been changed? Because what I found in IU's policies was that anything within a radius of it, or if their student, if one of their students is found you know, in the condition that Joseph was, that it's IUPD's jurisdiction. So is that something that's new since? It must be because, okay. like, um, IUPD was 
really great to work with. They were communicative. Uh, I mean, they definitely could have done a lot more, but I never had a problem communicating with them or, you know, them checking a couple of different leads. They didn't check all the leads I wanted them to, but much better to deal with than Bloomington Police Department. I would have preferred to work with IEPD if I had the option. Okay. Um, I think that we probably would have gotten the answers we've needed by now if that was the case, but... So the IUPD, they were the first, obviously, to be notified because you called them. At what point did Bloomington or Bloom, is it Bloomington Police yeah. Department? When did they when did they take over? Once Joseph's body was found. So there's five days between the time that he went missing and the time that his body was found. During the five days um, that we were looking for him, it was all IUPD that I was working with, and okay. then once. Um, on that Friday when his body was found, Bloomington Police Department took over. So in that, in those five days, what did IUPD do? Like, did they, were they able to like fingerprint the notes? Were they able to, and what did they do in those, in those five days? Did they collect evidence? Did they interview people? Did they, any of that? Yeah. Okay. So like Monday, so Sunday night, so Monday is when I called them. Um, they spent the whole day thinking that he was in jail, so they didn't do anything that day until about I think. Let me see, Monday. Um, so Monday night, after we'd gone back and forth with them, they finally filed him as a missing person around maybe like nine or ten o'clock, and then Tuesday, they went to his dorm to talk with the um the fraternity brothers the two brothers that he was staying with and they um they at that point then found a note like the fraternity brothers were like oh yeah by the way there's a note um that he wrote we found in his room so i thought that that was really weird they said it was on his pillow um and it was just strange to me that they never like call the police once you'd see a note like that yeah you go to bed um, the night before and everything's normal and then you just magically find a note like that's yeah that is weird. okay and so until the police show up asking questions sorry i'm showing my ignorance right here so okay. 12 o'clock he doesn't he is when you first start calling him trying to track him down he's not in class it's not until nine o'clock that night or the next night yes. that he gets reported monday that night, Monday night. Monday night, okay. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. And then when do they turn the note over to the IUPD? When they came to visit them that Tuesday morning. Tuesday freaking morning, okay. Yeah. So, so. This has been gone for basically a whole day. They see a note and then they don't, and they don't say anything until the police is physically at their door asking questions. And then that's when they're like, oh, yeah, we found a note. So nobody went into his room when when IUPD went to ask him if they were there. Nobody went into his room or anything? Um, you mean like did IUPD yeah. in his room? Yeah. Uh, so I think they did end up looking, but it wasn't until, um, let me think. I think they... So the fraternity brothers are the ones that told them about the note. I don't think they searched the house or anything, but then when I went back, which was, I think, Wednesday, um, 
they I I searched his room and then I asked BPD to come and grab a couple things that I had found, but I don't know if they actually did a, a full search of his room. I know that they at some point they checked to see um, if anything was missing, like uh, like, his, like a toothbrush or something like that. They checked to see if like maybe he packed a bag, but all of his like phone chargers and things like that were all still in his room who and lived who lived in the house that he was like was it a house an apartment it was a house it was and a house two, two fraternity brothers okay. and what was there so you show up you hadn't been there until wednesday right okay so wednesday you show up like what was were were the fraternity brothers there when you were there yeah so when i got there i basically canvassed the campus um you know asked as many questions as I could. The first stop I made was the fraternity brother's house where the where Joseph lived with the two boys. Um and they like basically said I asked him like what happened. Um I recorded everything and I was like he basically said that they hung out all day on Sunday and they watched know, a baseball game or a movie and then they all went to bed around eleven. And that was the last time. I mean, so they didn't they didn't think twice that the whole day they didn't see Joseph because he had like an early class or something. Um, so that that was pretty much what they said. So they weren't watching the Blood Moon, right? That never came up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it wasn't until I had called the fraternity brothers. Another guy, like, I got his name, he was in a fraternity, that, like, there was, like, seven guys that were with Joseph that night, um, and so I called him, I called one of the guys that they said that he was with, and he basically gave a full list of every guy that was, that they were with, and he said, we went to check out the Blood Moon for a hot minute, and I was thinking, you know, okay, Joseph's got, he was found with binoculars around his neck, and you're watching the blood moon, which the phase of moon happened until after 11. So it's just strange that like the timeline just doesn't really make sense. And it's also strange that fraternity guys are all going to bed at the same time at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. Yeah. They're all lying. Right. Yeah. Sounds like it to me. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So from Wednesday, what, what happened after that? So Wednesday, after I interviewed the fraternity brothers that lived with him, I went over to the frat house and went straight to talk to the um, to the president. And the funny thing is that the guy that the main guy who I who was kind of facilitating the whole story um, beat me over there from jo from their house to jo from Joseph's house to the fraternity house. By the time I got there, he was already there. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So then we all sat down and they were like, we don't know anything basically. And, you know, you're, you're just going to have to talk to Ben because he was the only one that was with him. We don't know anything. Um, so that, and so they just kept referring back to the guy that he was living with. or basically just the one guy. And, uh, and then that guy wasn't really saying much. He's like, I don't know. I, I haven't seen him. So um, they really didn't. It didn't really help, and it's just really sad because, you know, you think that if this guy is your, like, official brother, like, that's all they kept talking about is how he's their brother, but then, you know, I never get a phone call, I never get a text message, I never got any help with the investigation, 
you know, you think that someone that cares that much would be reaching out. Do you remember, I'm sure you do, but what was, when you showed up there, first of all, did they know that you were coming? Um, yes. So I think I, I think I got in touch with them. Oh, let me think. I think I did because I got his address. I think I started communicating with the roommate. And so when they showed up, it was him. And there was a girl there that I didn't know and another guy and his other roommate. And basically they, they were basically waiting for us because when he came out, one of the guys, he just looked extremely nervous. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, were they, yeah. were they, they twitching? Were they shaking? Were they bouncing their yeah. hands? Were they shaky? Just very like, um, yeah, I'd say like anxious. Did they make eye contact with you? It was kind of like, um, you know, every once in a while, but you know, they weren't, they were kind of like shift, they were shifty. Their eyes were shifty. Did they act as though they were in a hurry or were they, I mean, did you guys sit down and talk? I'm sorry. This is yeah. this, this no, is the fine. psychology okay. field that's coming out in me. Did yeah, they. Okay. I can definitely describe it more. So I pulled up, um, and basically was, uh, the names, I don't know if you want the names in the podcast, but, um, I mean, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm all about it. Cause I think that they know way more than they should or that they, that they're saying. And I mean, I don't care if it's true. It's not slander. Right. Right, right. So Ben and Jake, so we got Ben, who's the ringleader. Jake was very quiet. He was kind of, you could tell he was the one that's controlled by Ben um, because, like, he really wouldn't speak unless Ben asked him, asked him to. Like, it just, it seemed the relationship between the two of them, it, it, you could tell that Ben was just kind of, like, taking control of the whole situation. Um, so when I met him, you know, he's very, he's either shifty, very nervous. Um, we went inside and sat in their um, living room. There was a girl that was sitting on the couch, like, in the corner. Um, I think they said that that was their sweetheart, the fraternity sweetheart. The fraternity um, sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she was there. And so that's when I, you know, I said, you know, what, what happened? And they went through the whole story saying that, you know, well, we, we, we sat around and watched baseball and then we watched the movie and then when it, when y'all went to bed around 11 and uh and they never mentioned anything about um going to lunch that day which i know happened they never said anything about checking out the blood moon um and they never mentioned all the other guys that were with them so they just made it seem like they were at home all day um and then i like went upstairs to take a look at his room and you know they were kind of like lingering around during that time frame and he's like yeah so like do you think for I, I said something about him um his the, the uh, note that he left and they were like and I said it doesn't really look like his handwriting and he's like you don't think it's his handwriting I'm like no I don't really I, it doesn't look like it like he's a very neat writer and this is like chicken scratch and it's on it's written diagonally and I don't know like it was just like they were trying to see how I guess where my head was at with everything if you were going to buy their story yeah pretty much hmm that's interesting 
I mean, not. Yeah, so then, like, I called. So the guy that I called, the fraternity guy, the next day, it was, like, in the evening. Um, he was at, they were actually, like, at a, some sort of a meeting, he said, had told me. And so he's like, I don't have a lot of time. And I said, that's fine. So can you tell me, like, who all was with you that night? And you listed all these guys. And I was like, can you say that one more time? Because I couldn't get, like, two of the guys' name. And so he, like, told me the other guys. And then all of a sudden, I hear someone go, who are you talking to? And he tells him, and all of a sudden, Ben grabs the phone, and he's like, hey, Vivian, how's it going? And I'm like, why are you controlling what I'm doing with someone else, you know? Right. Like, it was very, very strange that he would then step in, take the phone away from his other brother, and start talking to me. And he wouldn't give him the phone back either. He, like, continued. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, we're going to make a um, foundation for your brother. And this was before we even knew that he was um, gone or anything. And he was just, like, he had mentioned something about, um, like, suicide or something at one point. And I'm like, how would you even, why would you even come to that kind of a conclusion? And we don't have the autopsy report back. We don't have anything. So it was just really, I don't know, it was just really strange. You could definitely tell that he was the main person controlling what everyone was saying, who they talked to, everything. And then there was also a group me chat going on during the entire time that he was missing, too. Um, so I, we actually hacked into that, and uh, could, we were watching in live time them just talking about um, pretty much covering themselves. Like, no one was really concerned about Joseph. And they all were talking about, like, how since he hadn't paid his dues yet for the semester that it just started, that he's technically not a brother. Oh, the fraternity dues. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Like, it's interesting that you're taking all this time to find ways to distance yourself from him instead of figuring out, like, where he is, what happened, who knows what, you know? Right convenient when they use the word brother huh and convenient on like trying to get your ducks in a row on your story but thank you for doing so in writing yeah seriously yeah so so nothing really i mean nobody really interrogates them or interviews them for five days right they really didn't get much of an an interrogation at all it was like a brief interview and i even asked um then at one point i think that was the friday that they actually ended up finding him i met with um iupd and you know i said are you gonna like actually get do an interrogation they're like we talked to him and i'm like yeah well his stories aren't consistent and they're like oh well you know like they just weren't i don't know they weren't very i didn't feel like they took it super seriously like they're really more focused on it being on Joseph and like it, something happening to him. So they were really more focused on, okay, let's see if he has a passport. He talked about leaving the country. Like, let's see if he's, you know, took the bus. Like he had no transportation. He didn't use a Lyft. He didn't use an Uber in any of his transactions. You know, he, um, he, he couldn't get around that that much without at least some sort of proof in his transaction somewhere. So, if you bought a plane ticket, we would know, you know? So yeah. it's really weird. And it's like, okay, if he's going to hide all that, 
within seven hours of me talking to him, you know, it just doesn't, and he's telling me he's going to be somewhere at 12 and the next day. And I talked to him at seven. You're telling me that that short amount of time that he's already like found a way to like withdraw cash and make it inconspicuous and find like a way to fly the, the out of the country. I don't know. It just didn't seem right. Like, and then when they actually found his body, um, there's a lot of reports that like they basically the way that they they didn't have any like standard procedure for the way that they got him out like all of his clothes were still in the body bag when um the second like forensic pathologist that i hired at the second autopsy um got him so he was like their finger his fingernails weren't scraped like it just didn't seem from the very beginning that they were treating this like a homicide Right, like they had their minds made up going into yeah. it. Oh, okay, so they find him on Friday. He was face up with the backpack of rocks, correct? So we don't know that. And okay. That's part of the reason why we need the photography from BPD because um, that's the same question my forensic pathologist had five years ago. <laughs> um, and they okay. still haven't produced that. So okay. that's misconception that's out there that that we don't know that. Yeah. Okay. okay. Did did the BPD did they release or whoever whoever has that did they release the toxicology report? Yes. Um, so he had THC and Benadryl in his system. Okay. Okay. Which and I mean, Benadryl is really strange to me because. Um, you know, typically medication doesn't stay in your system very long. So I'm what I just wonder, like, and he's just, he doesn't have allergies. Like, none of our family has allergies. So it's just strange to me that he would have that in his system. Right. Did he have problems sleeping at all? Do you know? Not that I'm aware of. And it wasn't, it wasn't finals or anything. Was there anything that he said to you that was, I mean, heightened stress or anything? No. Um, in fact, he was still sending messages up to that night to girls trying to get them to come to a party that was happening on Thursday. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. Did he have a girlfriend? No, he didn't have a girlfriend, but he had lots of girlfriends. Okay. No, I... <laughs> good-looking kid. He was a good-looking kid. <laughs> yeah. And a college student. And so, a college student. I mean, good for him. Good for yeah. him. Okay. And the the autopsy report, did they release that to you? Yes, they finally did. Um, okay. It didn't get released to me, but... Um, we, we got it. It took a really long time and we had him on in refrigeration while we were waiting for the report to get back because we were going to immediately do a second autopsy. So I hired a um, forensic pathologist to do the second one. But the main one, they, there's just a lot of stuff missing. Like they didn't do a, a complete examination. They didn't go and open his back. Um, they didn't scrape his fingernails. They didn't bag and tag his clothes. Right. So, okay. The, the bruising or the hemorrhaging. Yes. I want. That was found by my uh, forensic pathologist. It was found by that's. Okay. It wasn't in the original report. 
And where, where was that? And what does he think the cause of that was? So he said their hemorrhages were on his back and it's definitely from something that, um, he said it, but it could be a lot of different things. He said it could have been like from someone pushing him down. It could have been from him falling on his back. Um, but he said he really needs more circumstantial evidence, more photography and things like that. Um, but I guess technically you could say that he was found on his back because of the witness that I was actually able to get in touch with did say that she could see his face. So he was face on. Okay. So that just didn't come from BPD. I don't have like a, like official proof of it. Right. Like photography and all of that or a report. Yeah. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, eyewitness testimony is, especially with something traumatic like that, it's not reliable. Yeah. I mean, at all. I mean, it doesn't, it, it, it does not make sense that somebody would have a pair of binoculars around their neck. I, I'm really outdoorsy and I wear binoculars all the time and I hang them from around my neck. I would never under any circumstances ever put a pair of binoculars on and then a backpack on my chest. Like that would hurt so bad. It would be so uncomfortable. That's not even a reasonable, that's not even a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. And even like logically when you break it down. So Joseph lived about a 45 minute walk from Griffey Lake. And you can even pull Griffey Lake up on Google Maps. You're going to see a windy road that's about a half mile to a mile long. There's one way in. And technically, there's like a side road that you can get out. But the main entrance in either location, you're in dark woods. There's no lights. So there's it's like there's some houses. There's like a um, community that's close by on your way down like the windy road. Um, and maybe they give off a little bit of light, but for the most part, you can't really see your hand in front of your face going down that path. On top of that, there's 66 pounds of rocks that were found in his backpack. You can't find 10 pounds of rocks in that entire area. I've searched several times throughout the last six years. Um, you cannot, you can't find anything to actually put that much weight into his backpack. Mm -hmm. So on top of it being dark, walking to the lake and then finding rocks in the daylight, it's impossible. I mean, it just didn't make sense. And then you have the the depth of the water by the bridge was around three to four feet when his body was found. Now, I've tested it recently. We went out with another podcast group and it's around five feet, but he's like five, seven, five, six. So, and Mm -hmm. he's a really, really good swimmer. So there's just like a lot of things that like, okay, logically, let's see if it makes sense for someone to do all of that, to walk that far. Like if he got the rocks first and put it in his backpack, that's a long walk with a bunch of rocks down the hill in the dark. Did he collect rocks? Was he, was he, I mean, so that's not something that he would have gone and done. Like that's not a normal no, and I mean, just logically, like, I mean, he is a science student, his biochem pre-farm. If he wanted to kill himself, I'm sure he could find a way oh, to yeah. do that more efficiently than, you know, walking in the middle of the night. Because that text message came at 4 a.m. So we can assume that it, he would have walked that way in the dark at around 4.30, maybe a little bit before. So there, if you don't have any transportation, 
I mean, how, like, I just don't see him waking up in the middle of the night and saying, I'm going to go to Griffey Lake and jump in the lake. And you, and it's so shallow. Yeah. And no. the, the bridge is really low. So it's just like those, that's just not somewhere that you would commit suicide. No. Right? In any of the reports that you've received, um, did it have like an estimated time of death? Um, I believe it's been a long time. I want to say it was around 5 a.m. Okay. Oh. But I can double check on that for you. That would be interesting to me, though. And I'd like, you know, if that's off of, like, I mean, conditions of, like, the water temperature, water temperature the... in his body or if that's if they're going off of, like, the text message. Because if that's different, I mean, right there is, like, did somebody else send that text message? Because in my head they did. But oh, for sure. That'd yeah. be a good way of. Did they ever find his phone? Yeah, and so that's been like a really weird situation um, because something else has been happening is there's a lot of misinformation even among the precinct. Um, because so when my father was involved, after um, Bloomington Police Department changed jurisdictions, they basically wouldn't speak to me anymore, even though I was the only family member that was active in his life and like his dad's been estranged for like five years so they actually called me to get his father's number so that they could talk to him so there was a period where my father basically stepped in and um they weren't communicating directly with me so um they i forgot where i was going with that he um his phone yes his phone so they my dad basically um put together this list of questions that he reached out to. I think it's Andrea Safari. She's like a de- drowning death, a death by drowning expert, expert. And so she put together a list of questions to send to BPD, who only answered about a quarter of them, if any. And um, so one of the questions was, how did you find the phone? They said a dive team found it. But then there's other reports that say that it actually was found in the woods. And then when I finally got his phone back, it was completely destroyed, completely dismantled. Like you, I couldn't even, we couldn't pull anything off of it. And I had um, my PI working on it for a while. And it's just like, it's just really strange to me that we, you have a whole phone when you find it. And now it's, I mean, it was in pieces. Like you could see the bed physically, like you couldn't, drop this phone or like hammer it and it looked like this like you would physically have to take the phone apart hmm. and they didn't put it back together so it's just really weird vivian what do you think happened what is your instinct tell you happened uh i feel like something happened so joseph again is a science major there was a blood moon eclipse happening that night he had binoculars on to me i feel like he wanted to make a night of it, and he wanted his brothers to come and watch. Maybe, I don't know, they were drinking, or they got together and had a party or something down at Griffey Lake. Something happened. They know. I don't know what that thing is. Could have been an accident. Could have been a murder. But it definitely wasn't suicide. Right. And they definitely know what happened. That's that's what I would say. Okay. So you're still staying super objective. You haven't you haven't like yeah, formed- I can't blame anyone. 
you know, because I, I don't, you don't I mean, know. I just, I, it, yeah, like I just don't have enough information to say it was this person. Like, yeah, I could. If it, if it's someone that I suspect it is, I'm definitely not going to be surprised. But you know, it's just there are a lot of people involved. They're outside, or I don't even know if they were outside when it happened or what happened. But it's just it's hard to point the finger. I could definitely tell you I've got my ideas, but right, yeah, sure, <clears throat> I do too. Are there are there, have you gone down the road of, are there any ties to any of the, the fraternity boys with the BPD or so, the UIPD? Yes. There, there was, from what I understand at some point, there, the chief was part of the fraternity. Okay. Oh, so, okay. I had, I, it was a while ago when I found that out and I can't find the exact uh, information. So I'm going to try to, I really want to get the proof so I can. It's on there. It's on the fraternity website. Everybody that's been in it, that's chiefs of police or judges or anything. I'll send that to you. Oh, you found it? Yes. Awesome. Okay. I was like, I kept saying that, but then I'm like, wait a minute. I don't actually have a physical evidence to show that. And so I didn't want to like be wrong, but I, yeah. So the police chief is part of the fraternity. Okay. So since and oh, also yeah. his the police chief's um, wife is a judge and a professor at IU. Uh, <sighs> how big is the town that this is in? This campus is in like eighty thousand. It's, it's a really small town, but it's just really powerful because of the school. I mean, IU goes, I mean, that's, like I said, everyone goes to IU. It's just, and that's what's been such a, the hardest part of this entire case is attorneys, anyone that I talk to, they're all like, well, I graduated from IU and I just, they don't want those issues. They, they're alumni, you know? And it's, so there's just like, it's, it's been really, really hard to find someone that is passionate enough to make a difference. Um, I've had two attorneys, or I had one attorney that just completely ghosted me, and he asked me to be um, a part of the case. Like, he reached out and said he wanted to take it pro bono and, you know, help, and then um, when it came time for court, he, like, the day before, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I have a conflict of interest now, and I can't represent you. Oh, my God. Wow. And then stopped answering his phone because I was going to go on there and talk to me and still go to the meeting and still go to court and just do it pro se. And he wouldn't answer my phone calls. He, like, had me talking to his paralegal who was just like, you know, oh, I'll give him, you know, I'll let him call. I sent him emails. So he completely, like, just disappeared. And, there, yeah, there's just a lot of people that won't touch it. And there's people that you can ask around Bloomington and they don't want to talk about it. Wow. So it's just really strange. It's like, yeah, I just feel like if it was suicide, then just prove it. Like, tell me how you think it's suicide. Right. Make what it make sense to you. you have. Right. right. But instead they're doing everything they can to prevent us from even having our own investigation that we're funding with our own funds that we've raised. And we're not able to, 
to get the answers that we need and they're not helping in any way. It's like, okay, you've made it clear that you don't want to put your resources towards this investigation and that's fine. We're, we're saying that we are wanting to, but then why wouldn't you at least help by just providing the information that we need to draw our own conclusions? Yeah. So since in the year since all of this has happened, since this initially happened, like what, I mean, have, it sounds like the police haven't been helpful at all since since they decided that this was a suicide. Yeah, they haven't. Um, but recently, there was something that was passed in Indiana um, through a family that had basically a family member back in the 80s that um, was they felt was wrongly um, uh, deter- determined that it was suicide. And so they've been like pushing this bill for a really long time. It just got passed in 2021. Um, for families who um, feel like they were their family members were wrongly determined a suicide, um, and so you can apply to have the case uh, reviewed and looked at, and to see if potentially there is cause for um, it to be reopened. So I'm going through that review process right now. I just met with um, one of the detectives not too long ago, and he seemed to be doing a thorough job. So. Who reviews that? Who determines? Um, Indiana State Police. Indiana State Police. Okay. Yes. So he said that they definitely have a lot more authority over BPD. And with BPD, I mean, the thing about the BPD is they're a small precinct in a very small town. And so their usual stuff has to do with kids drinking, fighting, like that kind of stuff. So I, part of me thinks it's, the incompetence of that group, I just don't think that they have the the funds and the means and the professionals and pretty much everything that you need to actually run an, an actual investigation. Which, Which and partially, yeah, go ahead. I, we see this a lot with a lot of cases that we've covered where the police are like, we were not equipped. We are a small town. Yeah. And to me, like, that's not an excuse. No, and there's nothing no, that fires not. me up more than when police say that, than if you don't have the resources and you're not a PD and shut your fucking doors. Literally. Excuse right. my language, but seriously, if you can't do your job effectively, don't. then find somebody else that can, because Joseph's life matters, his right. death matters, and this is complete bullshit. And so I'm glad that, that, but they, but they should have done that back, you know, back when this happened said, well, we're in over our heads. Let's get somebody else in here. Right. Because I mean, at this point, I mean, somebody should have been in that, in that room, in his bedroom immediately. You have a missing person at nine o'clock at night when they determined that he was missing, they should have locked that shit down. Yeah. A thousand percent. I'm with you on that. And so what's even really sad too is with IU, um, usually if anything happens, and I know this because I was an IU student as well, I went to IUPY, and anything, I mean a water main break, a robbery, a battery, a fight, someone get, like anything, we get a, a a text message for. And for five days, they never once sent anything to any of the students about him being missing. Wow. Why? What is their explanation? I don't know. But I've been back and I've done some, like, um, you know, meetings and stuff with some of the different parts of IU, like the Black Student Union and 
Um, they were, they are the ones that were like, yeah, I mean, there's people to this day that are like, I was on campus during that time and I had no clue. But meanwhile, there's other students at IU that people do still talk about and that is a big deal. And so it's just like, and that was like the, the there's one from back in 08 that people still talk about today, until today. Um, but yes, there's people in Bloomington that don't even know that Joseph was missing and what happened. Well, I did a ton of research on this, not, not just his case, but I wanted like an overall, you know, the hazings and the, the sororities and the fraternities and the, all of it. And I, I watched videos and read cases that went all the way back to, I think 2006 or 2005. And mm -hmm. I never saw anything about Joseph. Wow. And I was like, how, what the hell? Yeah, they're just trying really hard to distance themselves as much as possible. Yeah, which is absolutely insane and inappropriate to me. So maybe if we did those things, maybe we'd have answers because somebody knows something. Yeah. yeah. Ben and whatever that dude's name is knows exactly what happened. Um, so have, you, have you entertained the thought or, or maybe you've done this? Um, filed wrongful death suits against anybody to kind of force force people to speak so because i am not next of kin i don't have that authority um that would be something that joseph's father would have to do so i've casually mentioned it a couple times to him um i think we're now at the point that we're past uh like the statute of limitations to do that i think it has to be filed within like two two years oh wow and unfortunately it just took so long for not only everything with Bloomington Police Department but even for you know to get Joe our father on the same page and you know so that was also just a hard situation trying to like all be on the same page and communicate and so yeah I think we're past that I would have liked to do that yeah because I mean at the very least we could have you know subpoenaed through that and gotten the answers that we needed. Right. Have you have you gone to, you know, like senators, legislators, the governor's office to kind of to put pressure yeah. on law enforcement? Yeah, I um I wrote a letter to the mayor and um it was around I think it was about a year after everything and I didn't really do much. Um, the Bloomington Police Department basically, I, I filed a formal complaint against BPD and I sent a letter to the mayor. Mayor, I don't think I ever responded, but then BPD responded publicly and they said, oh, we're, we're talking to her. The reason that she doesn't have her answers is because she's not next to Kent. We're talking to her father. That, that's basically what they put out there. And it was just funny because like they weren't giving him answers either. So it wasn't, it wasn't even about like who they were talking to it was about the fact that they weren't talking to either of us mm -hmm. so it's just it's like really frustrating um i just don't think that i mean bloomington like i said it's a small town like it's just very tight-knit i think there's a lot of things that run deep there um that we that i think really just keep a lot of connections and privacy and keep things from um, being public sure sure what can anybody do to help you to help support this 
to help support you in, um, in finding say, answers and what what can we do just i keep asking questions i i just want i want joseph's story to continue to stay alive and i think that the one of the biggest reasons why it's still around is because of everyone that sees you know what what's going on and i mean i i have always just stuck to the fact like i try not to put my opinion out there I want people to draw their own conclusions, and a lot of people, I mean, I've got hundreds of thousands of people that have signed a petition that says that they believe that Joseph's case needs to be reopened. We signed it. (laughs) Yep, we signed it. Yeah, so it's just like, you know, keeping his story alive, asking questions. If you know anyone that knows anything or knows someone that knows someone that knows someone, like, find out, like, any information big or small, even if you think it's not that big, just, I would still want to know about it. Or, you know, if, I don't know, if anyone has any ideas or suggestions too, I'm always open. I get a lot of people that are just like, hey, what do you think about doing this? And I'm like, awesome. Like, I just, I appreciate it because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that just continue to, to be so supportive. And, um, and I think that that's huge. And that's really what's going to continue to put pressure on Bloomington and IU to say, okay, this isn't going away. Like, you thought that you could just mark it as a suicide and shove it under the rug, and it's not. you got a, a sister out there that's yeah. <laughs> going to fight for him, so. And I I just want you to know, like, like I said earlier, I am a big sister, and I – you are amazing. You are amazing. The, the fight and everything that you are doing, like, I – I cannot imagine, like, my heart, I mean, A, breaks for you, B, the fact, like, I am just, like, in such awe of you, and the strength that that. it takes to, I mean, like we said, continue to talk about this, and it's so important, and yeah, yeah, is there, is there anything else that you want people to know about Joseph or about this case? Is there anything that we missed? Anything that we got wrong? Anything? Any misinformation out there that? Um, not that I can think of. I mean, I feel like for the most part, it's weird because there's a lot of coverage to the point where I've kind of lost track of um, <laughs> everything that's out there at this point. Yeah. Um, but and now, now I'm like nervous to to listen to it because I like I didn't talk to them. I just don't know what they're gonna say. But you right. know, it's just like. Honestly, I think um, there. I yeah, I don't. I don't really have an answer to that. Okay. No, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Oof, that cannot be easy. No, and I. That cannot. I said it in there, but I admire her so much. Oh my god, me too. And like, we, her strength and her follow through and her just like fighting until she gets the information is abs- She's incredible. Incredible, and the love that she has for. For Joseph. Yeah. I mean, it still shows today. Yeah. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, I was a little nervous to do that interview because I was like, oh man, I hope that we, I hope we told the story right. And we did this justice. Because that's really important to me. That is really important that we, these are people and I want to tell their, I don't want to have a bullshit podcast. And these are people that are loved and valued and are important to people. Absolutely. And they're important to me. And we said it in the very first episode that we covered on him, like... This could be your 
brother, yeah. your loved one, your best friend. Yeah, those are her is, words. I mean, yeah. this can be, this could happen to you. Yeah. And so it's important for, for all of us to, to give a shit. Absolutely. So once again, I mean, Vivian, thank you so much for, for being yes. here and talking to us. And I mean, it is an honor to be able to speak to you about Absolutely. this. Absolutely. And it makes, it makes to me, it makes the stories more real. And I think that that's really powerful. It's really powerful. And I'm sure she's, I mean, I'm sure it triggers her. It has to. Um, And we're not done with this case. I mean, when we stopped recording, we continued our conversation with her a little bit and talked about different things that, different avenues that, you know, that we want to pursue or whatever to, you know, to just help. Because I don't, I want to do something. I want to do any, I want, I want as many resources to be provided and as many outlets and roads traveled down that that can be traveled down to get the answers that she needs. I agree. So we mentioned this in the first one, but we're going to ask you guys to do it. If you haven't yet, please go to thechange.org. It's just under Joseph Smedley, um, Justice for Joseph, and sign the petition to get this reopened. Please follow um, the Justice for Joseph Facebook and Instagram page. Please interact with these, share this podcast or uh, her page with friends, family. I mean, right. Anything that you can do, just keep the story alive. Yeah. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of misjustice in here. I think that the police mishandled it. I think that the campus police mishandled it. I think there's, there were a lot of mistakes that were done in this case. And these mistakes have got to be rectified. They've got, people have got to be held accountable. Well, and she doesn't, I mean, this family doesn't get closure. She doesn't get peace. She doesn't get the truth. Right. And she, yeah. she deserves the truth. She does. So thanks for joining us. Thanks again to Vivian for coming and, and talking to us and going down this journey with us. And we're excited to work with her and, and see, see where this goes, see where this goes. And hopefully, hopefully it ends the way that, you know, that I want it to. Hopefully we get answers and we can do another, another episode a of victory, a episode. victory episode. I mean, as much of a victory as we can get in this horrific story, right. but hundred percent, but thank you for being here. Thanks guys. Stay safe.